Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, December 23rd, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, we take a look back at the year that was and discuss all the biggest headlines from Iowa politics in 2022. Hello, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me again for this holiday edition is the full roster. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Lee Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning and Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, Aaron. Thank you. Same to you. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Good morning, Aaron. <laughs> Which encompasses all of us in Iowa, I think, right now. Uh, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Good morning, Jared. I'm, I'm actually coming to you from uh, Irkutsk, uh, Russia, because it's, it's warmer here. Good morning uh, than, from the than, Arctic. Uh, than in northwest Iowa right now. So, Yeah, I was thinking about taking a, a quick vacation to the moon. I saw, or I'm sorry, not the moon, Mars. I saw it was just in cold in Iowa as it is in Mars right now. It's just fantastic. And finally, he's either your Grinch or your Santa, depending on your uh, political leanings, Todd Dorman. Gazette columnist. Good morning, Todd. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, did we we usually take this uh, around this time each year to kind of do a, a, a recap of the year that was. Uh, so um, <laughs> we'll just swing around the horn here and talk to everybody For those about who celebrate. what stood out to them um, in the year of 2022 of Iowa politics and there's plenty to talk about. So um, I was mean to Todd last year by uh, indirectly calling him old. So I'll let him start uh, this week. <laughs> Todd, what uh, uh, among the bountiful um, uh, uh, possibilities, what, what stood out to you most in, in Iowa politics in 2022? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and this is basically because I'm old and I've seen a, a few governors and uh, I, I think this, you know, the whole saga around the school, private school scholarships and the vouchers and, and all of that. I mean, it starts with the, the governor coming out with that proposal again this year. And the first governor that I've, in my memory, that also didn't have, you know, a plan for improving public schools. The plan was basically, you know, increase their funding a bit and and then try to get this money for 10000 private school scholarships that would have cost about $52 million and and then they were going to take another $26 million or so and into some sort of uh, fund for, I forget whether it was rural schools, I think that's how it started, and then it was turned into something else. But uh, And then, you know, the fact that it didn't pass and the governor did something that I also hadn't seen at least as well organized as this, she basically went out and, and backed the primary opponents of several lawmakers who who didn't vote for the vouchers because their fear is, and I think it's true that it would, you know, ultimately that reduction in state public school funding would would hit rural school districts hard. And there's, in a lot of rural areas, there aren't public schools to use that voucher for. So she went out and defeated those incumbents and then spent the campaign year, you know, basically going around the state, uh, you know, deriding public schools as places where they've, you know, they've got pornographic books in the library and drag shows and pronoun lessons and, and spent most of the campaign 
saying basically that we need these private school vouchers so your kids can get the hell out of public schools because they're so they're failing and and immoral and you know liberal indoctrination centers <coughs> excuse me but i just think that whole just the the idea that a governor of iowa would run on sort of an anti public education platform is so unlike anything that we've seen in iowa i mean it wasn't that long ago that you know, it was a bipartisan feeling that Iowa was proud of its public schools and we needed to improve them. They would differ on how and how much to spend, but that was always just sort of taken for granted. I mean, Terry Branstead, her her mentor, Kim Reynolds' mentor, I mean, always had public school improvement plans and and uh, was, you know, always made it a priority. Yeah, without uh, a doubt. That's, um, and, it's and changed. I mean, right. education I is now part Caleb of the culture wars, um, which <clears throat> sorry, that's, Jared, that's sort of a new it. wrinkle um, in Iowa. Um, so I think that's going forward, that's going to be a big story been, uh, next year as well. Topic, I, I thought it was uh, our, as we work on our legislative preview stuff. Um, have you, I believe you had your discussion with uh, House Speaker Pat Grassley. Uh, yeah, okay, yes. Um, what is he, without giving away the the farm on on your preview story that'll run in a, in a, a couple weeks here. Um, what did he have to say about this and the likelihood of something happening in the house this year after, after that being the place where uh, this proposal uh, died in the last two sessions, what did he say about 2023? Yeah. So some other outlets have, have run um, stories on interviews with him already. So I'm not giving too much away here, but he's pretty confident that it's going to pass in the house this year. Um, he said that, uh, <clears throat> He said that the um, the education reform committee is going to focus pretty much solely on um, vouchers and school choice, uh, and he um, said that you know he's his goal is for that to uh, advance some bill to the full house so that the full house can have a vote on that. Um, and you know uh, he acknowledged that there's been you know some turnover in the caucus that you know it's not. Um, it's not a done deal, but he's pretty confident that there's going to be uh, something passing this year. So it's definitely uh, looks to be less um, fractured, I guess, than it was this past year. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And obviously, it'll be interesting to see exactly what that looks like if it's the same <clears throat> bill that we saw last year that Todd kind of laid out, or if it's a little different in order to get to those uh, uh, 51 votes in the House. Um, um, that'll be interesting. And obviously um, another one, Jared, you were going to say something there. Yeah. Uh, Todd's pick uh, part of what he was talking about in there is something that I had on my list too. And that was specifically in our neck of the woods was one of the places where one of those incumbents was challenged. Uh, Dennis Bush, he got uh, primaried by Zach Deacon and he lost by 30 points. And like thinking about that in retrospect, that news in particular and those other primaries happening maybe should have been a clearer sign of where things were going to go in the general election, because you really have to have your like support and your like political capital locked down pretty tight to think you can pull something like that off and not have any issues in a general election. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Todd's choice of, of this whole school choice debate um, is, is, is a huge one very much belongs in the front of this discussion. And, and the tangent of one of, of that is um, maybe worthy of its own place is this. I mean, I, it was unprecedented. What were there's that word again um, un- <laughs> that we saw, but it really was that we saw an Iowa governor 
um, leading primary challenges to members of her own party. And, and I can say that because I, I talked to people who would know at the time, um, people who have been around much longer <laughs> than me, if they could, if they had any memory of, of, uh, a governor doing that in, in Iowa and, and nobody could come up with any example or if, or if they were, they were extremely rare, selective, nothing to degree of, of what we saw. I mean, and, and so that's, that was pretty remarkable this year um, to have a governor do that and, and was largely successful in doing that. And um, uh, to go after these folks who, if we had counted up the data, probably aligned with her voting wise on somewhere in the mid to upper 90% of, of bills and issues. Um, uh, but that wasn't enough because it was this one topic that they weren't. Um, and I guess it speaks to, the degree to which this governor wants to see this type of legislation um, uh, pass. And it sounds like from uh, what Caleb's telling us that some version of it will this year. So um, absolutely a huge uh, story with um, multiple subplots uh, that we'll continue to see um, in 2023. Uh, Tom, let, let's go to you next. I just randomly saw you next on my screen. So, so you get to go. <laughs> Number two, what what was a, a big story that stood out to you this year? Um, I, I think one of the biggest stories for me um, that stood out to me this year um, was how in the 2020 midterm elections in Iowa, um, you you saw this, you know, quote unquote, red wave um, that didn't necessarily materialize um, nationally. Um, I mean, you know. Republicans just had a banner year in Iowa. Um, they um, hold every statewide seat um, save for one. And um, even then in um, the state auditor's race, um, it was a close race, right? Uh, Democratic Republican, or excuse me, Democratic uh, incumbent running against a um, little known Republican who raised very little money, right? I mean, Rob Sand ended up outspending it was within uh, Todd Halber by, I think, seven figures. Um, I, I mean, huge, huge difference uh, there. Anyway, um, and and yet um, it was it was it was close, and and you had it was within recount range. That's right. Um, and uh, and and then um, I guess the bigger headline is um, two forty-year incumbents ousted. Right, longest-serving um, attorney general uh, in 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 the nation, uh, longest-serving um, state treasurer. Um, you know, both um, kind of institutions in the the Iowa Democratic Party or the modern Iowa Democratic Party um, gone. Um, and in 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 the other big headline, uh, Republicans now control all six seats in Iowa's um, congressional delegation. Um, yeah, it, it was just it was just a little surprising to me. I mean, we know that um, Iowa has been been trending uh, more and more conservative. Um, you know, in in most recent election cycles. You know, you've seen that trend. You've seen kind of that 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 progression. But it was surprising to see um, how Ab Iowa yeah, was, um, <clears throat> um, I guess, so much of a departure from again, kind of what we saw on on the national stage, um, where 
you know, Republicans didn't, you know, kind of perform as expected. Yeah. And in Scott County in particular, I thought it was interesting. This was one of the first, if not like the first year, midterm year where um, Tom Miller and um, Mike Fitzgerald did not win Scott County. They didn't win majorities in Scott County in a midterm, which, yeah, so I thought that was interesting. And a lot of voters I talked to at the polls <laughs> didn't necessarily know maybe who the individual like congressional yeah, candidates yeah, were, a, maybe didn't know a, who the statewide candidates were, but the they knew that prices were going up and that they wanted and they wanted to, to vote against Democrats. Uh, Scott County gave us the bird. Uh, gesture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or at least help. Um, <laughs> it, 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 and it kind of reignited uh, <laughs> now, and, and, and someone's going to take this eventually. Uh, it didn't help Iowa's um, case in, in, the, in the caucus uh, discussion uh, this election. I, I imagine we'll get to no, that. No, it didn't. It <laughs> <laughs> kind of reignited that debate over uh, whether Iowa has become a red state now, and it's uh, – it's getting harder and harder to argue um, that it's not uh, when you see, uh, again, Todd made the, <laughs> the most salient point right off the top here that that red wave didn't happen across the country, uh, but it did in Iowa and the very few other states. Um, uh, so it, it um, I mean, 2024 is going to be interesting now. It's a presidential year. Um, but 2020-22 was definitely um, a a big one for Republicans and a rough one for Democrats. I will be interested to see how much there is in in the little victories and and whether there's something that Democrats can pull out of those um, and try as they try to bounce back from these last few cycles. Um, Sarah Trone Garriott, the Democratic state legislator winning in the Des Moines suburbs, um, and her opponent was... uh, former Senate president, Jake Chapman, who uh, got himself in the headlines when he accused uh, teachers of the, and the media of having a, a sinister agenda, which was tied into all the LGBTQ stuff that, that Todd talked about at the top. Um, again, I like to say this at times like these. It, I, I, I find it genuinely adorable that, that people think journalists have time to have anything that amounts to a sinister agenda. Um, I ask my editor if uh, he thinks <laughs> I have any extra time uh, given when I file my stories and whether they're on time or not. Or maybe that's why my stories are late because I'm paying too much time to my semester agenda. That's what, uh, maybe that's what the problem is. Anyways. Um, I, um, I had that one on my list too, not surprisingly. And I mean, in our neck of the woods, I think the red wave maybe crested as high as it did anywhere in the state because literally every single um, race where it was a Democrat and a Republican or a Republican versus someone, the Republican won up and down the line without fail to the point where now the only uh, Democrat in our entire coverage area, which is more than a dozen counties, is J.D. Scholten, who ran unopposed and had high name recognition. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, 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 and including those, was at least one Democratic incumbent that lost. Was Were there more, or was it just the one, Jared? Um, Jackie, well, well, Jackie, Jackie Smith, Smith right? uh, Steve yeah. Hansen also lost and was uh, a, not uh, consecutively, but had 20 years' experience in the legislature. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's not just holding seats. It's that they flipped some, too. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, um, I, I mean, and I don't know, Rob Sands' victory, for all the reasons Tom laid out, I don't know if that's something you can – build off as Democrats, it's more a 
a warning sign of what is possible if you know if in wave years uh the Joan Garriott win is interesting I don't know if the sand one is a template for right right exactly yeah especially considering that um that the Republican candidate Todd Halber was not supported by the Republican yeah. Party of yeah, Iowa I think that, that yeah. didn't, huge didn't, with didn't get didn't get money from them um, you know wasn't a part or, you know, of a um, Governor I mean, Reynolds statewide bus tour barnstorm a billboard along the interstate so I, I think that's uh, <laughs> there, a cautionary there's one tale. here just south of Ankeny that still has Tulsi on it so I know there's billboards available <laughs> Still Who is still paying for that and, one? You know, maybe on election as another still... honorable mention. <laughs> my my assumption, Jared, and I don't know this, but my assumption is that that they're not paying for it anymore either. But just nobody else has paid for <laughs> that billboard since, which which would make sense because that would explain why Tulsi was able to afford that billboard in the first place. She probably got it cheap because no one else wants to advertise there. Uh, but yeah, it's spectacular. There's still a Tulsi Gabbard. God bless. Uh, billboard in, in Ankeny. Love it. <laughs> yeah, there was one like that in uh, Johnston right on my way to Iowa Press ago, every Friday. Um, it's finally there was, gone now. There was but yeah, somebody was that has a house in recently. Davenport on Locust uh, Street that still Tulsi had a Tulsi uh, Gabbard campaign sign we're prominently displayed in the front yard. yard. All right, uh, moving on. Sarah, how about you? What uh, what jumped out to you this year? <laughs> yeah, so I'd build off of what um, Tom and Jared said. Um, and as I mentioned before, Scott County Republicans really had a really good year. And um, similar to, um, to Jared's coverage area in Scott County, uh, every Republican won in a competitive race except for a um, – a county, the county um, recorder who had like decades of experience and is really seems to be pretty popular in the county. Um, also in Clinton, in Clinton, the city of Clinton, uh, in Clinton neighboring Clinton County, um, there was a uh, previously there's been a Democrat representing Clinton in the in the House of Representatives or the state Senate, and now both of those seats are Republican. Um, so that's also kind of just represents the decline of um, Democrats hold on, on these mid-sized cities. Um, Republicans are really making making gains um, in those areas too. So, um, and a lot of Democrats I've seen just talk statewide about um, kind of a lack of money available being really impactful in some of these races and. Um, and just yeah, like there there really wasn't too much advertising for some of these state house, state senate um, campaigns. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say you know uh, Phyllis Thede, who has more than ten years of experience in the house. She lost re-election um, in a much more rural district. Um, so so that definitely Republicans definitely had a really good year in Scott County. Um, and then the other bigger story that I've been covering is um, Scott County's recounts. And um, those have finally wrapped up the uh, there's still letters of inquiry and, and responses that are that are still being generated. So we'll see how exactly um, Scott yeah, County which, Auditor, that, that's who, one of the this was her first general election year, how she responds to some of the challenges that she faced in, in the 2022 election. Um, and if um, if this spurs any any changes to recounts uh, in the legislative but that, session. That, uh, th- those elections laws and, and recounts specifically, 
um, they're they're due to address those anyways, dating back to the uh, twenty twenty cycle um, uh, and the Marionette Miller Meeks um, race and and that recount um, and and some kind of recognition along bipartisan lines on this one that that uh, that state recount process needs to be addressed and maybe cleaned up in code a little bit. Um, and, and now we saw another example, uh, as Sarah detailed here with Scott County uh, this year. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of uh, legislation uh, comes out of that uh, discussion that we're sure to see. Uh, Jared, uh, uh, how about you? And, and um, um, you can't say the Avatar franchises return to the cinema. I'm, I'm taking that off the table for you. Sorry. This is anti anti Big Jim uh, Cameron propaganda. That's all this, <laughs> that is. Uh, I'll move past it though. And by the uh, way, I'll, it, uh, I saw it and I loved it. It was absolutely wonderful, and everyone should go see it. A yep. a true cinematic uh, experience. It was. <laughs> um, I was going to say, and uh, obviously this happened in other parts of the state too. Uh, but in our neck of the woods, uh, 2024 uh, is is here already because we had a number of. Uh, Obvious candidates uh, coming through the area. We had uh, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, uh, Mike Pompeo, and of course uh, the big man himself, uh, Donald Trump, uh, came to Sioux City in November, uh, just a couple days before the election. Um, obviously, none of those really made the same kind of splash uh, coming here that Trump did, but uh, all of those appearances were definitely a clear sign that um, 2024 is already here, and yeah, we're off to the races. Yeah, that's a good one, and and that leads me to a question, um, Jared. You can start with this, and, and if anybody else wants to chime in, so it's interesting to me um, that President, former President Trump, came in right before the election, uh, and and then uh, made his announcement. Uh, uh, forgive me for uh, not remembering the exact date on that, but that he plans to run for re-election, which was shortly. It was in November, right? Shortly after yep. the election. It was yeah. yeah okay. It was the next okay. week. It was the next Tuesday. Well, you, yeah, yeah. So he was here just before the election, then not long after that, made his candidacy official. And ever since then, that drip has slowed here in Iowa that, that Jared describes. Do we think that's because uh, we're seeing that impact of Trump being in the race? Or is it just, look, man, it's it's we're not even in 2023 yet. Let's calm down. They're going to get here. They're just they saw the weather report for this week and decided maybe I'll wait until after <laughs> New Year's. Uh, I, I don't. I genuinely don't know the answer to that, but I, but I do can't help but notice that the, the 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 faucet has at least been temporarily turned off ever since Trump made his announcement. Is that a coincidence or is that just a we'll get there? Just give us a little time. I I I can't imagine that's entirely like just an accident that that's been the case. I mean, yeah, it's not a great time of year to be coming to, to Iowa, but people will come here any, any time of year. If it's a, a pancake breakfast, a, a, you know, a fish fry, some kind of pork roast, like they'll come up here for anything. And, you know, we have not had any of those kind of uh, announcements since uh, he was up here at the, uh, the airport. Yeah. Well, I, I also think it's interesting and, and plenty of other people have observed this, but um you know, Trump isn't really running either. It seems, you know, he's not really doing any, he's releasing NFT cards, but he's not really doing rallies or uh, visiting early States or anything at this point. So it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and maybe they're trying to put a little bit, well, yeah, so I would have thought that well candidates that were um, trying to run against yeah, Trump might have tried to is, take um, advantage of like, uh, Oh, us, Trump Grizzled did, veterans, Trump's candidates uh, did poorly we in the midterms. All the way back to um, 20, 
but uh, then again, like Trump endorsed like Grassley um, and Reynolds, and, and they did really I mean, well. There was so, a giant um, multi-candidate event in 2015 in January. Uh, the Citizens United, Steve King organized um, event. So I'm so obviously planning was already underway for that by this time. Um, and in that event um, included Todd. Donald Trump was at that one, correct? I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah, I, I do remember for sure that um, Sarah Palin was. No, that was a little bit later at the family leader one up at Iowa State. Yeah, yep, at Bob Vanderplatz's event. I believe so. I distinct memories of that one, too. It, it's amazing how clear the memories are from some of the events. Cause well, was it was that the event where he just amazing disparaged unprecedented uh, stuff that, that happened at these events. But anyways, my point being okay. um, at this point okay, that's right. in that cycle, right. you know, we already knew uh, at least one big multi-candidate event that was coming. Um, it's, it's just interesting to me that things are so quiet now. Now we'll see. There's, there's obviously plenty of time that the Republican caucuses are more than a, a year away. So there's plenty of time for um, barnstorming, but uh, for now, anyways, uh, uh, Republicans um, other than, outside of Asa Hutchinson, aren't uh, making their trips to Iowa. So. Well, and, and, you know, you know, Caleb said that uh, Trump's not even really uh, campaigning right now. So if you were another Republican that was running to run, why would you want to like do anything that could possibly uh, rankle him when he's not really, you know, fully all the way in right now? Like that's only going to go poorly because that's how it worked in 2016 for people. Yeah. The don't poke the bear strategy. Is that what you're describing? Then? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Also throw out um, on the other side, not that it's uh, not that it's maybe a campaign situation anymore, but we got a visit from the current president um, at a biofuels uh, uh, plant. I forget what month that was, but yeah, President Biden came uh, to announce that he was uh, lifting the E15 waiver on the the summer. No, he was giving a waiver for summer sales of E15 fuels. Um, so that was a you know big media event that I remember pretty clearly. And there was a big question yeah, of whether I, I a bird pooped on his suit. Um, but it was determined that it wasn't. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot about that. that. Caleb, that was all I remembered about that event when you, yeah. you brought it up just now. That was, that was... <laughs> I forgot about that. So I was there, and this has since been discussed, but for anybody who may have missed that at the time, um, it was held inside a, 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 a grain, and now the name escapes me, and I'm clearly not a, a farm kid, um, but but a, a, a a barn, a shed that had uh, grain literally pouring in from above down onto the floor. Um, and it's grain, so it's light and could blow a little bit. It did wonders for my allergies for the next week or so. Um, but uh, a little bit got on the president's uh, jacket lapel there and uh, the the uh, online <laughs> theory uh, for the next uh, 24 or 48 hours was that a bird had pooped on his his jacket. Um, but yes, I can assure folks it was just the, the grain that was floating around uh, that structure. But that, yeah, that was that was Joe Biden's last big president, uh, last big present to Iowa before he came in a, a few months later and, and gave him a, a lump of coal in their pockets. Uh, Caleb, you're, you're, you're the only one left. What's what's your big story from 2022? Well, on that note, um, I'll bite the bullet on this one. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, you may not have heard, but uh, the Iowa caucuses um, will no longer lead the calendar on the Democratic side in the 2024 
presidential primary. Um, and so uh, that was, you know, a long uh, conversation and a long um, road to get there. The Democratic Party, the <laughs> National Democratic Party had, um, you know, been talking about this for a while. They wanted to reshape the calendar to give um, voters of color more voice early in the process and also make the early calendar more competitive. Um, Iowa is seen at the national level as a, as we talked about earlier, very Republican state trending more and more Republican. Um, and so it was not really, and it's small, mostly white, um, not really. And then also the, the um, idea of a caucus was, was problematic to a lot of the national Democrats. Um, it's hard to, harder to participate in than a primary takes all night. Um, and, you know, it's, it's uh, people, the, the national party wanted to favor primaries. Um, so for all of those reasons, Iowa was not really the prime um, state to lead the calendar for what the Democrats wanted. And so they uh, re, re, reshaped the calendar uh, just the beginning of this month. Um, South Carolina is leading the calendar now. Iowa is not in the early window at all. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, that's the story. Um, Iowa's caucuses I, by state law, the party still needs to hold a caucus. And so, uh, the party is saying that they still will, um, still will do it earlier than any other state contest. So that's going to, you know, that creates a whole lot of questions about when they're going to actually, um, assign delegates, if they're going to be in violation of the party's rules, if they're going to, delegates are going to be seated. So that's all, uh, you know, going to be worked out, but, um, definitely one of the biggest stories of the year. Yeah, without a doubt. Although I I'm, I'm take a quick um, sidebar to to and this will reveal a little bit of my personal opinion, um, but I'm I'm proud of our podcast for that being the literal last one out of everybody that all had their topics to pick, and and I'm I'm very happy and pleased that the Iowa caucuses was was the last one. Uh, we we all picked stuff that actually effing matters uh, to Iowans. Uh, uh, well, hold hold on now. With with uh, with that going away, we lose out on an important part of Iowa culture, and that's um ritualistically humiliating candidates by forcing them to eat, you know, rattlesnake corn dogs or or baked potatoes that have like fifty different ingredients on them, or a pork chop in a glove. You know, somewhere, we don't get that anymore. Yeah, somewhere John Delaney's saying they couldn't have done this one or two cycles <laughs> earlier. Saved me from that photo coming down the slide. No, and uh, I and I look. Um, I I I think sometimes in Iowa and Iowa politics and in Iowa political journalism, we get this is my personal opinion. We get too caught up in the caucuses, and and that's why I say I'm glad that when we were in around the horn here, um, <laughs> our, the journalists here on this team uh, talked about issues that actually directly impact Iowans, not the not the big circus that comes to town every four years. Now, that said, this is not an incident deal either. Um, 1972, this has been a thing since. So um, it is a huge, a huge, 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 huge story in Iowa politics, no doubt about it. Um, and it's going to be, to me, it's going to be interesting to see how the party moves forward from this, the Democratic Party. Um, if you talk to some Democrats, they think this will be a good thing for the party. It'll help them focus more on, their own elections in their own races. The counter to that is that attention from the caucuses also can bring, you know, resources and whether it's money or help from other organizations that may not otherwise be in Iowa. So it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see um, what kind of impact this has on the Iowa Democratic Party and its candidates um, uh, moving forward. It's also going to be interesting to see how it impacts the Iowa Republican caucuses. They're fine for this cycle. Uh, they, the books are already cooked. Um, 
they've got their schedule done and Iowa's going to be first again. They're going with the same schedule. Uh, but I have to believe that there's no guarantee of that um, in the next four years. And obviously it all depends on whether they're, you know, which candidate they nominate ultimately, whether Iowa was representative of that, and then whether that candidate wins the general election. There's a whole lot of variables that will get thrown into that over the next um, uh, two-plus years. Uh, But if things go a certain way or if just enough things happen and just enough eyebrows are raised, you may see Iowa Republicans in the same defensive stance that uh, Iowa Democrats have been for the last couple years here. It would be very interesting. Um. <laughs> it's, it's also going to be tough on <clears throat> media outlets <clears throat> trying to. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> I'll get a drink. <laughs> uh, it should have been something stronger. Uh, but you know, trying to recruit young That's journalists true. from out of That's state. True. I mean, it's a challenge to get them to come to Iowa. And, but no, you can cover the caucuses. Well. Now, now that Trump right. card is, uh, is everybody is all took gone. all the good ones. Um, I, I don't have much to add, and I kind of sweat in. Um, so, my thoughts is as we went, went along on there in each topic. But um, the Lost Hills uh, coming from I, the Lost Hills. I agree. Hills. I think I, the, <laughs> uh, I, if I would have had a free run, I would have started with the one that Tom did. That uh, uh, um, Republican um, tep had Republicans had tepid success. Uh, in most other states in the country, uh, but just uh, cleaned house um, here uh, this year, and and we've talked about the hi- the different races that highlight that, including um, the attorney general and and treasurer races, um, the senate and governor races at the top of the ticket. Ultimately, were not very close. It, it, if if you believe the Iowa poll, it was it was getting interesting um, about a, a month or so out, a couple weeks out, whenever that penultimate poll was um but at the end of the day it's still a a, a double digit uh, victory for chuck grassley as well and and, and obviously the, the race for governor was never uh truly competitive um so that extends iowa democrats um losing streak uh, republicans winning streak in in gubernatorial and senatorial races tom harkin still has the last uh, Democratic win for those back in 2008, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, because he retired in 14. Um, um, so it's been 2008 since uh, Iowa Democrats have won a race for either governor or Senate. Um, uh, and so so uh, I think that's kind of, as I think of one of the biggest stories of 2022, my mind yeah. immediately shifts to um, what does that mean for 2023 and 2024? Um, you know, I, I it is Iowa a red state now, or is this just a, a little wider swing of the pendulum than we're used to seeing? Is that pendulum ultimately uh, gonna gonna swing back, and are Democrats gonna gonna bounce back in the state, or or are the demographics uh, changing in a way that uh, this is just uh, uh, becoming uh, Midwest's version of of Texas or Florida? Um, I think that'll that'll be interesting to to continue to monitor over the next cycle. Um, and 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 again, and Todd had a, uh, Todd's uh, uh, school choice. I think that's a great one too, and and obviously will be another dominant topic of the uh, of the the session. Um, again, as I talk about the big stories in 2022, looking ahead, obviously that's going to be a huge issue uh, as we head to the Capitol here. 
in a couple weeks. Um, but it's 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 never it's not been a never been a dull moment, and and uh, that's what I'll say to those uh, journalists out there, Todd. If any of them ask it, we may not have the presidential uh, stampedes a, a, anymore, but man, it's never a dull moment in Iowa politics. There's always something to there's always something to cover. Is uh, uh, as as 2022 showed. Um, so who knows what 2023 will bring? Hopefully, uh, God and subscription counts willing we'll all be back here <laughs> next year <laughs> to talk about that uh, <laughs> it, it's it's uh yeah it's well i mean it's a, it's the seventh or eighth just in the last the five years seventh or eighth largest tax cut in <laughs> iowa history that's, at least that's as, exactly, as long as i've been uh, in news it's, it's got to be at least the eighth and that's gonna be an interesting one. yeah i mean what will they do this year the biggest property tax cut in Iowa history. <laughs> and, and this will be the one. This will be the one that brings people by in, in droves. It's going to happen. We'll be we just cut it down a little bit more. Oh, goodness. We're going to be in. All right. We're going to be the. Well, uh, I don't know. Thanks the, to everyone the South for Dakota their discussion of the Midwest. Thanks Wait, to everyone that, that for doesn't work. work um, all this year. And the, the Kansas of the Midwest. Nope. Um, nope. That doesn't work either. I don't know. Readers, I, I'm going to pat ourselves on the back here a little bit. So forgive us listeners. But uh, <laughs> I'm proud of the work that um, uh, everyone here on, in, in, on this podcast has done this year. And uh, we hope you've been reading along with us. And we thank you for listening along with us here on the podcast. And. And we hope you all do the same um, in 2023. So that'll wrap it up for this edition and this year in On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. Now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, uh, which was also new in 2022 and I like to think was a rousing success. So uh, if you're not subscribed Please do. You get uh, every morning in your inbox, you get all the latest politics and government coverage uh, from our team here. And you can subscribe to that on Iowa Politics newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, of course, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Sound Thought will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. And a quick programming note, we'll be off next week as we all enjoy the holiday season and get our final rest before the legislative session. So from everyone here at the podcast, we hope you all have a safe and joyous holiday season, and we'll see you in 2023. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Happy holidays, everyone, and thanks for listening. I cannot recognize the places I adore The cell cell phone will pierce the silence of the night Put on a blindfold and then I proceed to drive Can't stand to enter so
Listening to Iowa Public Radio's Friday Night Spotlight of Music with Iowa Roots down on the corner. I'm Bob Doerr. We just heard the sound thoughts from Cedar Rapids. The song Heal is on their disc. It's beginning to look a lot like disaster. Before that was 17 Candle from Suburban Des Moines. Their song Back to Memphis is on the latest 17 Candle CD, California IA. And the show started with a brand new band on Down on the Corner, Existent. They're from Clinton, the easternmost city in Iowa, I might add, and feature the voice of Susan Black, who co-wrote most of the material on this self-titled disc by Existent, We Heard Defeated. At the bottom of this hour, exclusive Iowa Public Radio live recordings will take us back to the 2009 Iowa Arts Festival in Iowa City last June for a set by the 100s. 
You know, these live recording sets are one of many reasons that we're asking for your financial support during the fall Iowa Public Radio on-air fundraiser. Your dollars help cover the costs of making these totally unique to Iowa Public Radio recordings. It's something we hope to continue in the months to come. Your tax-deductible pledge can help make that happen. The toll-free number is 800 882-6427. It's 882-6427. Pledge online, iowapublicradio.org. And thank you for being a friend of Iowa Public Radio. Former Iowa Cityans Youth Orchestra has a new disc. It's called Soup, and this is Melody Truck on Down on the Corner with Bob Dorr from Iowa Public Radio Studio One Network. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.